another week, another reminder to subscribe to the Press Gallery. I'm your host, Emma Graney. Hi, please subscribe uh, because... As I have mentioned, we do have some pretty big changes coming here. Um, Also, feel free to rate us uh, wherever you listen to the Press Gallery podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, want to send me cake recipes or photos or, you know, kitten gifts, I really like kitten gifts, uh, feel free to do so. You can email me, egraney at postmedia.com, or I'm extremely easy to find on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, provincial affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, October 12, 2018, and this is the Soldiering On edition. Oh, I got a look, at, I got a look there <laughs> from Sarah O'Donnell. How are you, Sarah? I'm fine. Just, yeah. We'll talk <laughs> about why that stings a little bit. <laughs> Janet French, education reporter who has just, just run into the studio. Literally... Like he just wrapped up an interview across the room. It yeah. was good, good little workout there from yeah. one Oof. end of the newsroom to the other. And our new political columnist Keith Durant. It is so weird to be introduced <laughs> like that. Still, it is very strange. I like the sound of it. Okay, well, I'm glad I'm still getting used to it. <laughs> so today, to the surprise of nobody, we are going to be talking about the Soldiers of Odin UCP controversy that uh, ended up seeing one candidate turfed out of the race. We're also going to talk about the NDP soldiering on with their curriculum changes. You see, Sarah? Oh, that's, that works on many levels. I yeah, see. you see? Yeah. Anyway, they've uh, released some more this week. And finally, we're going to talk about Jason Kenney marching alongside Doug Ford in the war for Albertans' hearts and minds before the election. Sarah? Thoughts? Uh, uh, on, on all the use of huh? the word soldiering? Yeah. It's, I'm impressed. You've, you've weaved you. it all together quite nicely. I try. Yeah. As I someone try. who used to struggle with that, I, uh, I applaud your efforts. <laughs> Let's start off talking about the big news this week, which was, of course, the Soldiers of Odin controversy. I don't really know how else to uh, refer to it, so that's what I'm going to go with. Not Odingate. Not Odin. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't seen anyone call it that. And we shan't. No, we shall not. We shall continue not calling it Odingate. Sarah, do you want to give us a quick rundown about what happened? What started as a pub night went horribly, hor- horribly awry for as Edmonton, happens. West End, a, uh, the UCP constituency. Um, now they were having uh, an event, uh, get to know you with the candidates and uh, having people come out. And uh, a group of people showed up at this event. Uh, now, there is certainly a discussion to be had about whether people knew they were coming ahead of time or not. Um, and uh, that was the Soldiers of Odin. And the Soldiers of Odin are a hate group rooted in the far right. Uh, we've, they're referred to as an anti-immigration group, white nationalists, but uh, they certainly have a uh, fraught history. And uh, although they do try to portray themselves in uh, Edmonton and Alberta differently, but again, we can go into that more. Uh, (laughs) But they got themselves into photos with the three candidates running in this Edmonton West Hende riding for the UCP nomination. And that's when uh, groups online, such as Press Progress, they took note of these photos and they they wrote about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, then everyone, we all recognize that that was a story that needed to be told. From then, stuff hit the fan. Yes, it, it sure were. did. And mm-hmm. so the first thing was, of course, um, Nicole Williams and Layla Hool, uh, two of the candidates, um, 
Nicole is Métis, Layla is Cree. They both immediately, as soon as they found out, they disavowed it on, on um, Facebook and said, we had no idea who these guys were. You know, we meet a lot of people at these events and we just had the photo taken with them. We didn't know who they were. They're a disgusting hate group. We do not align ourselves with our views. Curiously silent was the third candidate, Lance Coulter. Curiously, yes. Very, very silent. Um, I reached out to him and he still didn't comment until the candidate forum, which was by happenstance, scheduled for the couple of days after this Wednesday whole night, yeah, kerfuffle. Right. Yeah, on Wednesday night out in West, uh, West Edmonton. So I went out to that and uh, finally got to talk to Lance Coulter about why he didn't, you know, disavow it or why he didn't join in the joint statement that was put on Facebook. And um, he told me, yeah, he, he didn't want to sign his name to that because he knew exactly who they were. Um, he recognized their insignia. He Googled it. And he came across news articles about them. But then he went to their Facebook page and said, well, looks like they're doing good work. You know, they're handing out meals to the homeless. They're, um... And he nice. said, I believe in free speech. I think then he, he said, it I believe looks in like he told speech. you yes. that they were they were polite. They were not causing tr- problems at the event. And, uh, and that, you know, he, you know, was, yeah. didn't want to... Judge people. Yeah, he basically said they have a constitutional right to say what they like. I'm not going to ever get people removed out of a pub for saying something I don't particularly agree with. The problem is he knew who they were and he failed to tell anybody. Maybe thinking, perhaps, maybe, potentially, it might look bad if you have photos with a far-right white nationalist anti-immigration group on the internet. I think there were questions, too, about how the party leadership handled yeah. this from the beginning. I think that the two of the candidates, I mean, they very quickly got, as you pointed out, they got out there and they said, we didn't know who this was. We disavow this. We wish we had never had our pictures taken with them. Um, I think we all had questions maybe about how Jason Jason Kenny responded to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Layla Hool and, and Nicole Williams, I mean, they're – their crime, if you want to put it that way, is at least in my view, and, and I get to have views now that they're expressed views, <laughs> this is very exciting. Uh, they did not ask any questions. That's fine. I, it is theoretically possible you didn't know who these folks were. They looked a little scary. You probably, probably should have like asked blackish. a question or two, but they didn't. They didn't ask any questions and they posed for photos. That That is, uh, that does not reflect well on their ability to serve. However, uh, Lance Coulter's uh, crime was uh, if kinda, you want to put it that if way. If you want to put it that way, it was kind of twofold. So, uh, Janice Harrington, the party's executive director, on Thursday, uh, as we now know, uh, disqualified Coulter, and she specifically mentioned that he had, in many ways, embarrassed the party because he knew who they were. He didn't say anything and allowed this to to continue on, uh, and allowed the the party to get embarrassed. The part she didn't say is that Lance Coulter. Coulter also embarrassed the leader, Jason Kenney, because on Tuesday, Jason Kenney responding to this, his line, and he said it over and over, that this was an act of political mischief. This was a group that was just showing up to embarrass the UCP, uh, was clearly orchestrated to to make fun of them, to cause them trouble. Uh, But with Lance Coulter there, um, who knew who they were, and still allowed it to continue, still allowed his picture to be taken, still allowed uh, them to take part in the event, um, that kind of blows Kenny's explanation out of the water. Uh, Kenny was saying that clearly this group is anti-immigrant, so therefore they went after the Cree candidate, the Métis candidate, but that doesn't make sense for the white guy, Lance Coulter. So yeah. 
in that respect, uh, Coulter did a bunch of damage. Um, now, Kenny himself has to take responsibility for this line of political mischief, which clearly is not true. But uh, Coulter was the one that just the next day actually proved it. And I, on that point there, Keith, Jason Kenney's explanation of, you know, it was an act of political mischief by this Alberta Independence Party. That's right, yeah. So I spoke with the head of the Alberta Independence Party. Now, it's not quite registered yet. They're still getting underway. They've got 24 candidates, Right, so FYI. that's a new group on the political landscape, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. So basically, they're separatists. So he turned around. I, I, I spoke with him on when oh this week is long um i spoke with him on wednesday <laughs> which day was it it's all just melded into one and i said you know kenny saying this was you political mischief and he said that is a quote unquote lie i never did such a thing i was invited to the event soldiers of odin were invited to the event you can go and see on the facebook invitations that like they had responded and said yeah we're gonna come along to this super fun ucp uh pub night so he's saying that that's absolute garbage i didn't orchestrate any of this uh it just happens that way in fact this guy's a ucp member and says that he was part of the nomination group for both nicole williams and layla hool and also went along to the uh founding convention and voted in the board membership makeup of the ucp as well finally though on thursday it feels like we got a strong response it seemed like it it took the comments on wednesday night from lance coulter for the party to come up with a reaction that seemed, at least from my view, to be appropriate and a strong statement. You got that oh, letter yeah. first from uh, the executive director on behalf of Janice informing him of the nomination committee. And I'm going to, I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is going to be my good stuff is this letter because it is badass. I like it because Janice Harrington, she's the executive director of the UCP. Her letters disqualifying candidates are just awesome. She pulls no punches. You can just imagine her sitting there going, no. Absolutely no, no, and just kind of signing her name with a flourish. And she's had a lot of practice the last, <laughs> last month or so. One yeah. of one of my favorite lines in here is, "A polite racist is still a racist." And she's saying that in reference to the soldiers of Odin, yeah, not, because not Coulter himself. No, because Col- one of the things Coulter said, um, Lance Coulter said, was that they were being very polite and they just wanted to have a beer and a chat. So of course I sat down with them because anyone who's polite to me, I will be polite to them. That's I'm a Canadian like that. I'm an Albertan like that. That was again what he told me on Wednesday night. So her point there was, dude, dude, just because they're being nice to you. You are a white man, after all. <laughs> um, doesn't mean necessarily that they're a fluffy bunny group of happy-go-lucky, upright-standing citizens. I mean, the Hell's Angels do similar things in that, like, you know, they do toy drives and stuff, right? They try and paint themselves as this awesome, super generous, community-minded group. Uh, and I'm getting a lot of emails, actually, from Soldiers of Odin, people going, how dare you call them racist? How dare you call them anti-immigration? I got one this morning saying that they were formed in Finland as a group to stop sexual assaults of women. And obviously, because I'd written stories, therefore, I am promoting sexual assaults of women. Bit I of think, a stretch I, there, I, random I think, emailer. Yeah, I think there's been enough uh, enough evidence and reporting <laughs> that uh, that is that is not the case. And I think that if you are a group of Canadians who want to do good works... Um, then you can select a different name if you do not want to be associated with what's been going on with soldiers of Odin in Europe. A good choice would be to not use the same name as the European group um, and uh, make other choices. 
that's a that's an interesting take there, Sarah. You don't want to be associated with someone. Don't call yourself the exact same name. Yeah. Hot take. Yeah, no. Whoa. Um, <laughs> I think it's worth noting this story is not necessarily yet completely over. Yep. Um, Lance Coulter has uh, noted on Facebook, he, he hasn't talked to you again, Emma, since no. Wednesday night, uh, but from Facebook, he has posted that he plans to appeal his disqualification, which we know UCP candidates can, or nomination candidates can do. Uh, I'm not sure that that will go very far. Yeah, I don't know that he's... Um a super popular candidate. Like I've heard that he hasn't sold many memberships, like only really a handful. So I don't know. I mean, God bless him for giving it a good old fashioned try, I suppose. I have a question. Yeah. So one of the one of the theories out there about why the UCP is having all these um, kind of embarrassing candidates show up for nominations mm. is that the NDP is being more prescriptive about who is allowed to run for nominations. Um what can you tell me about that? Like, is there a difference in the in the process between the two parties and and how they the UC- allow, run their nominations? Well, I mean, the UCP is in a in in a different spot from the NDP in that they are kind of you know they're the new party. Everyone's scrambling over themselves to try and get a UCP nomination because it's, it's almost a guaranteed win in certain ridings. In certain ridings, it is. So it's yeah. they are dirty, dirty races, and we've spoken about this before. There's been some races in other parts of Alberta where people have sued one another, where they've um, they're alleging what, like bullying and abuse. We had the ballot stuffing incident down in Calgary with Prab Gill, and then he was tossed out of the UCP caucus. You know, like it's this battle for a nomination that some of them do see it. And probably the reality is that they will win the seat if they win the nomination, right? It's very much like the old progressive conservative nomination battles of old, where winning that nomination was basically the election and everything else was just um, window dressing. Although this feels like a degree higher. I don't know why. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But this just feels like, you know, we're only maybe halfway through the nomination process. I think the UCP has maybe nominated half their candidates at this point, somewhere around there. And we've seen, what, nine, ten of these incidents already. It's um, uh, That seems unprecedented to me. so it, it, there's a legitimate question to ask if there is something amiss with that party or something amiss with the process. Um, and this was a point that Rachel Notley wanted to make when she got up <laughs> She's Tuesday morning, right off fresh <laughs> off Thanksgiving Did she weekend. want to talk about this? <laughs> she really did. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, so she called a news conference uh, first thing Tuesday morning, uh, got up there and, and uh, you know, mentioned the Soldiers of Odin incident and called on Jason Kenney to speak more forcefully, more decisively to get this stuff out of his party and out of out of politics as much as possible. Uh, and it was it was a forceful message. I thought she was right in what she said. It was an interesting strategy, though, for her to be the one to call the news conference and get up there and do this. And I, I just... I'm I'm not sure it was the the right strategy. Uh, it was the right message, but maybe not the right strategy. I, I think there is a tendency in these cases where people will focus more on the messenger, the fact that Rachel Notley is saying it, than the message itself. Uh, and people will tune out because they hear the premier saying it, uh, the NDP premier. So... Um, you know, they could have let the public uh, and the media uh, handle a lot of this potentially and, and stayed back from the fray and just kind of let the UCP implode. But that's not what she wanted to do. And, and it, you know, to me, 
this may be the discourse we're going to hear over the next six months over, you know, heading into the next election. A lot of that's going to be up to Jason Kenney and what he does with his party. But um, I, I just if this is what we're going to be hearing over and over, uh, the UCP is racist and homophobic, uh, Jason Kenney denying and, and, and going through this cycle over the next six months, it's going to be kind of a, a depressing campaign to come. At least that's that's my view on it. <laughs> I do wonder, though, if um, Notley didn't get up and do that, because if you have a press conference with you know, you get Sarah Hoffman up there, who's usually kind of the attack dog on these things. They often put her up there to, you know, rip a new one for the for the UCP or the opposition, whoever they happen to be, Wild Rose, whatevs. She's often the one that goes in front of the cameras on that. And we may not all show up to a press conference, honestly, with, you know, Sarah Hoffman or Joe Sisi or if they put anyone else up. I mean, I remember they put um, Irfan Sabir up about one of the UCP candidates in Calgary had, like, you know that kerfuffle around posting for the Nazi group or something like that and yeah. he was helping them to make memes and funding an Instagram account they put Irfan Sabira Irfan Sabira is not a good voice he's just not very good in scrums really like he doesn't seem as forceful but if you put the premier up media's going to show up and that furthers the story that gets more media attention on it and so I mean True. in that sense it was a really Good. Strategy. True. Although I, my view was it that the media was not going to ignore the story anyway. I mean, that was yeah, that was we were going to ask them about it. Yeah. At, at news conferences. Oh no, I'd yeah. forgotten about it. I was just going to go home. <laughs> yeah, I was what? like, yeah, nothing's happening. For me, I wondered about it strategically because sometimes I feel like having the premier respond to things that the UCP is doing. It it has this feeling like, well, why are they acting like the official opposition? They are government. They mm-hmm. are. They should. They are. They should be telling us what they are doing. And I know they have done. There have been events this week where they are trying to do that, but they don't seem as forceful or as I don't know. It's just. I wondered. I wondered about from a strategic perspective if that was the best choice. The the message, as Keith said, is absolutely a hundred percent right, and I think that we do have a responsibility to to speak about what's happening uh, and and talk about when groups who have these uh, hateful views are showing up at events and, and wonder what's going on. Like, why is that suddenly, why is that okay again? Why are, maybe it never went away and was always under the surface, but it is it is moved to a level of prominence again that is really disturbing. Yeah. Well, the soldiers of Odin too, they were, they were tied up in that whole Red Deer school incident, weren't they? Where those kids were like yelled at in the playground. Like, they're not good people. Um, speaking of kids, Janet, <laughs> curriculum. I, I have one. You have one. And he's <laughs> yeah. a sweet Lovely. little angel, Lovely. isn't he? Yeah. Poor Keith he used to have to listen to all my stories about, my child woke me up at 4.30 a.m. I hate him. <laughs> anyway. But now your child, my children, there is, there is movement afoot to have new curriculum for them. Yeah. Yes. There so that happened this week. Is. Good segue, Sarah. It's almost nice. like you've... You've done the hosting business before. I like I may have, may have once upon a time. Back on track, French. <laughs> uh, yes. So, I mean, this is uh, this was kind of a long time coming. We saw in the summer leaked versions of draft curriculum get out for kindergarten to grade four. In, for those of you who do not follow education news very closely, Alberta Shame is... Shame on the, you. The bad. <laughs> not Bad evil, listener. Terrible. Um Alberta is in the middle of rewriting its K-12 curriculum, the entire thing, all at once in English and French. It's the first time that's ever been done. And uh, they're doing it in phases, starting with the little ones, and that would be kindergarten to grade four. So the curriculum writers have been working away at that for the past, I don't know, year, year and a half. And uh, so 
They were they kind of were shopping around a few early drafts in the summer at parent groups um, and before different uh, people with different interests in education. And so we actually uh, we ended up with copies of those, and then the government ended up releasing those drafts. They now officially released the it's newer, newer version Yay. of the drafts, which is, an, which is an excuse to eat cu- cucumber sandwiches at the federal building. And um, sorry, sorry, what they had cucumber sandwiches? I don't know if they were cucumber, but they looked they like had I sandwiches. Think, I think they were crustless. Dang, wow. I did not. I don't eat government sandwiches, as previously mentioned. Um, but they had sandwiches. Oh. Well, she's really upset. <laughs> <laughs> if you divided the pieces, you could do different fractions. Maybe that's the sandwiches what it was about. were in halves. They were the little triangles. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, um, sorry, I've gone okay, off the rails. So fractions. Tell us, tell us so more. So once about upon a time, you used to be able to learn about fractions in grade three, and now the curriculum, the proposed, not in place yet, not approved curriculum, uh, says that we will now learn about fractions. Kids will now learn about fractions in grade one. And some of the other changes from the current curriculum include uh, more responding to some of the parental and educator concerns about math and the lack of memorization in math and so they're supposed to be there now they're like really really explicit of like you must know your nine times nine table by grade four um before it was almost like kind of the language a little was a little mushier a little more open to interpretation Mm -hmm. about you should know strategies to calculate whatever anyway um so now it's a bit more explicit and also in the wellness curriculum which is the new word for phys ed plus health and career stuff together in one tidy package now, uh, they are now expected to discuss consent by name by grade mm-hmm. two and three and four. We don't know about beyond that. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting is that the earlier messaging said, like, all oh, kids are going to learn about residential schools. It's going to be mandatory in every grade. But actually, in the new social studies and wellness curriculum, there's no mention of residential schools by name. They talk about treaties and they talk about First Nations perspectives in social studies, but they're not actually diving into the, some of the grisly stuff. Would they do that, though, before grade four? Yeah, I don't know. So it's weird because there's orange shirt day, right? And so uh, my son's in grade three and right from grade one, like they they would talk about residential schools a little bit and just but in the context of orange shirt day so that's uh there was a woman in bc who who told a story about when she went to residential school her grandmother had given her this shiny new orange shirt and uh, it was taken away on the first day of school and she talked about the effect that that had on her sort of psychologically um and with her connection to her family and how she felt sort of violated and so now they as a symbol of that to repair the harms done from that people wear orange shirts and last week in september or something like that uh to uh symbolize the kind of harm that residential schools have done. So they do, they are talking about it because of that event. So it's interesting that it's not, you know, explicitly required to Mm -hmm. discuss. Anyhow, so uh, the minister says that he is on track to sign off on this thing in December. It's not too late to make changes, though this thing is... Everybody stop freaking out. (laughs) A living document. Don't panic. Uh, And so he he says he'll sign off on it by December. But next week, there are two telephone town halls where parents can call in and kind of listen to the minister talk about this more and purportedly ask questions. What has the reaction been? Has there been any reaction, like, politically? here mm, kind of muted yeah yeah so i mean it's a massive document yeah i have not read it all uh it's well, a, that's it's saying a, it's something a, <laughs> you read yeah, things i read too many things 
and remember none of it. Um, the binder is, was gigantic. It took it up my entire bag. Yeah, it was pretty big. Um, I mean, a lot of it's folded. So anyway, uh, it's in chart form. So it's the color, uh, color coded, color coded by subject naturally. Very organized. So I don't think I don't think they would certainly at this point wouldn't make any changes to the structure. And that's sort of part of the part of their like rah rah. Why we think this is so great is that for the first time it's organized the same in every subject, and then there's all these. Um, there's these special codes where they can tell you like what literacy and numeracy skills you're working on in any subject. So it could be art, could be phys ed. We're saying like, yeah, we're going to learn, num- learn numeracy by counting ball bounces or whatever. I don't know. I just made that up. Um, but it's all supposed to be cross-connected. Um, and it also allows them to weave these themes through like we will talk about, you know, perhaps our, our history lessons in the past have been from a very uh, like white guy, European perspective. So perhaps we'll also talk about like, how did the Métis experience well, because you know, Kenny the settling is, of Alberta? Sorry, because Kenny has said he'd put the curriculum through the shredder. He said that to cheers well, what he many said, UCP. What he if said, there was an NDP worldview yes, embedded if into the yeah, curriculum, if, right? If, yeah. they, if they try to put their politics in this curriculum, right. then he'll put it through the shredder. That's what he said. And so um, I did contact the UCP and, and uh, the caucus spokesperson sent me a statement saying... Well, they haven't looked through the giant binder yet, so fair enough. Uh, but uh, they're, they did say that they do think the curriculum needs to be rewritten, um, which I can't remember hearing them say that quite like that before. Um, That's clearer than they've ever said it before. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting little development. The other thing, which is the line they've, I think, had for a while now, is that they, they don't like the process. They find it too secretive, secretive right? Secretive, yeah. Yeah, that the NDP won't tell them all the groups and individuals that have been invited to uh, to uh, take part in, in crafting this curriculum and, and, and providing feedback on it. Uh and, you know, I think there's, what, 70,000? Was that the number that was in yeah, your system? Yeah, 70, 73,000 pieces of feedback. But also, I mean, to, I think to counter that, at every curriculum event we go to now, I get a printed list of every person, their name, and every organization that is at that curriculum roundtable or event. Oh. So it sounds like they're, it seems like they're taking steps to try and counteract that narrative by saying, like, oh, you want to know who's here? Here's who's here. Also, yeah. there's a website and phone numbers you can call. Well, <laughs> and my, my hope is that, the UCP will actually judge the curriculum on its merits. They'll go through it. I've had a cursory look at it. I kind of like it, but I haven't gone through it like you have or, or will uh, down, <laughs> down the road because it was. It was an enormous binder. And so fair enough that they need to take some time to look at it. But when they do take time to look at it, judge it on its merits. Let's not judge the process as much. Let's let's focus less on that. That's my hope for this. I, I may be naive in thinking that, but uh, – you know, I think there are some very good things in there, as you mentioned. There, you know, uh, including numeracy and critical thinking uh, at all subject levels, at all grades, right? Uh, literacy, uh, computational thinking is another one, right? That's, right. I didn't even talk about coding. Yeah, yeah. coding, right? So they, yeah, they want to teach kids right from kindergarten, not necessarily like you know, coding itself, but the the kinds of thinking that you would be required to understand, like. What does a machine do when it creates a set of instructions? It like, takes over the world. Right. That's what a machine does. Uh, you're going to make me <laughs> watching f- Terminator movies recently. No. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I want to move gears, switch gears to our last topic here. Um, and I know this happened last week. My gosh, it feels like it happened longer ago, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it. <laughs> Jason Kenny and Doug Ford, of course, in Calgary, had a um, rah 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 rally against the carbon tax. 
I don't know if they chanted like that, but I kind of <laughs> hope they did. I, th- I think they did. Brilliant. So this was an interesting thing. Um, Doug Ford basically said, yo, what's up? I'm going to come across to Alberta. He also went to Saskatchewan because, of course, this is part of this whole battle against the federal carbon tax. Sorry, the Trudeau carbon tax <laughs> is what I should be calling that if you listen to them. So this was a big event in Calgary. I've seen numbers anywhere from like... Um, like 1,200 people up to over 2,000 people showed up. Sarah, were you surprised that this happened for starters? And yes. how many people showed up? Yes and no. I wasn't surprised by how many people showed up. I have been watching with interest because there there was a lot about the last Ontario election that just I, I really found disappointing was maybe too too mild a word um that i hoped not to see you know brought into alberta this seemed to indicate that maybe some of this real uh nasty attack style politics that we've already seen somewhat of is going to be coming i am i thought it was interesting to see jason kenny and doug ford in the same room sometimes i wonder if doug ford would be a brand that jason kenny would want to associate him himself with yeah uh i guess it's a winning brand and so it is a brand that jason kenny would like to has decided yes he would like to associate himself with well and i mean Jason Kenney is a career politician. He doesn't do things just because. Oh, you no. Know, no he, this is he, deliberate. It's calculated. Yes. It's deliberate. So he's hitching himself to Doug Ford's wagon here, which, yes, won in Ontario. But the Ford um, political legacy isn't necessarily known for being an exceptionally stable one. No, um, no. So There's the lo- been some issues. <laughs> <laughs> so, Keith, I mean, what, what's the thinking here? Well, I mean, my... Um, I read a lot of articles about what had happened there. The best one I thought, and not everyone loves it, was Jen Gerson's piece in McLean's because I thought she gave a a really good flavor of what happened and, you know, how both men uh, took the stage and and how how uh, the crowd reacted to them. And she makes the point that, you know, it's a mistake to equate Ford and Kenny. They're not the same person. Ford is more of a populist figure. He sees the world in very black and white terms. Kenny is more policy wonkish, not quite the charismatic, although, you know, still effective in his own way. Um, but they, there is a mutual benefit for them joining forces, right? You wouldn't normally say an Alberta leader is going to score points at home by, you know, hitching his wagon to an Ontario, a central Canadian political figure. But I think Kenny has seen this rise in populism. He has seen uh, what's happening in the United States and, and in parts of this country. And if he can tap into that to some degree, uh, and, and boost enthusiasm, for his campaign and his message, then there is an advantage. And for Ford, he can kind of get an intellectual ally in Alberta, a former federal cabinet minister who is uh, on board with a lot of his policies, right? So there is, they they reinforce each other in that way. That was one of the points that, that Gerson made. I think it's absolutely correct. So um, we'll see where it goes from here. I think Kenny has to be careful not to completely become Ford and endorse everything. He has to, you know, limit uh, what he what he agrees with there. But there is some advantage, uh, I think, uh, to at least uh, uh, seeing what has made Doug Ford successful. Well, because he's had the curriculum stuff, Janet, right? Doug Ford? Oh, uh, yes, the curriculum stuff. Uh, <laughs> I guess, and that or, is, the, yeah. or the un-curriculum stuff, I guess, because he, he yanked it, right? Mm-hmm. And so any, uh, I mean, Ontario's curriculum when it came to sex ed was a little more, um, I don't know if I want to use the word aggressive, but more, even more explicit, explicit yeah. than than 
Alberta's is so far uh, from what I've seen. So K to four, um, for example, one of the questions I asked at the technical briefing is, is there any explicit mention of LGBTQ people? Because I think that does come in grade two or three in the in the old, the old new, <laughs> the discarded, the excised, <laughs> what's the right word? Sure, the excised word. questionable, the whatever. Gone? The, the gone, the <laughs> departed Ontario uh, <laughs> sex ed curriculum. Because um, now they're back to the 90s version, right? So, um, Sarah, I, I'm just head. shaking my head in, like, in not in, no, you're wrong, as in I'm, good I'm like, grief. Why would so, they do that? Yeah, you have, like, peripheral so vision where your editor's shaking your head next to you, and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> no, no, what have no, I done? Make a no, I'm, I'm, I'm expressing an oh, opinion. Okay. Yeah. Her head is expressing an opinion. Yeah, so, so I was curious whether Albertas would actually mention LGBTQ people. And no, it does not, which is actually a point of disappointment for mm. certain special interest groups who would like to see um, diversity of sexual orientation and gender identity discussed earlier on to help with that kind of social acceptance. Uh, and that would be a, probably a controversial take here, I would imagine, I, by I other so, groups, yeah. other special interest groups, Perhaps, other yes. side of the spectrum. Yeah, well, I guess we'll see what happens with, with the whole Doug Ford, Jason Kenney, bromance situation. It'll be interesting to see as we get closer to Alberta's election how much we have Ontario figures coming out here to campaign in Alberta or if they'll decide, you know, oh, maybe that whole... Well, not just Ontario figures. Uh, I mean, you've got allies in Saskatchewan and Manitoba and now potentially New Brunswick as well uh, and Quebec potentially as as well. So, um, Meanwhile, the NDP need um, any of their you know, like-minded people to probably just stay away. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the ones anyone, to the West. The federal, federal NDP, there's just, no, please, please don't come help. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Now, we're going to move on to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend stuff we have seen or read or listened to lately that we think you might also like. Janet, you have to get going. So okay, very I'll, quickly, I'll go first, what is your I'll, good stuff? Like, just clatter out and the then door. just run just away. Climb over Keith here. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to recommend an Education Week feature, and it's actually a series of stories called Hate in Schools, which I think is a nice segue between some of our topics this week. It's actually from August, um, but what they did was they partnered with ProPublica, which is a nonprofit organization in the U.S., and they gathered data on um, incidents of hate in schools. And it could be swastikas scrawled in bathroom stalls. It could be, um, you know, verbal attacks or online bullying, anything like that. Um, because what what happens often is when there is an incident that gets publicized, school officials will say, it's an isolated incident. We're not a bunch of racists. We teach kids to be good people, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I think their point is like, it's really not. And then the question is, what do you do? How do you, you can't control what families, you know, family has a Confederate flag on their front on the front lawn, right? So, and I think it would be uh, wrong of us to think that this is not also an issue in Canada, certainly from what I've heard from from people who work in schools and from families who have their kids in schools who are of color, that it's not uh, it's not, not happening here. That sounds like a depressing read. Thank you, Janet. It is. I'm here to cheer you up. Sarah, let's switch over to you now. What is your good stuff? Okay, well, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to have a couple. First of all, if you haven't read Keith's first column, and by the time oh. you read this <laughs> podcast, his second column, please do. He's, uh, he introduces himself in a way, you know, writing a topic about that we, he didn't think he'd have to write for his first column. So, uh, really referring to, to the soldiers yeah. of Odin, he couldn't, but it couldn't be ignored. So please do. Uh, check out his first and subsequent columns and all columns forever after because <laughs> I support them all. Um, but what I want to, but an, a non post media piece that I'd like to recommend is something that 
just really stuck with me uh, ever since I read it last night. And it was on the BBC uh, website. And it's it's the headline is the people who moved to Chernobyl. So I was telling Emma and Keith, how, you know, as a child, the disaster at Chernobyl, it certainly stuck with me and affected me and gave me a well healthy fear of nuclear power. Um, but the story is heartbreaking in that so there's this exclusion zone around the contaminated site and ongoing uh, environmental and health monitoring. But there are people in the Ukraine right now who, due to a range of circumstance, are actually moving back to some of these, are moving into some of these haunted houses because not haunted, that's not the right word. Yeah, they're probably haunted. They're, they're, they are run down houses, they're derelict, yeah. but and they recognize there could be long term health consequences for them and their families. But where they are staying currently is so either unstable or unsafe uh, that they feel they have no choice and that this is the best place and one of the only solutions for them to go, which is heartbreaking in itself. But it's interesting how decades later, you know, life is continuing uh, in, in this disaster zone. Interesting aside to that, a buddy of mine, um, an English friend, actually went to Ukraine and he and his friends did a Chernobyl tour. Recently, yeah, I've heard very you can do recently, that. yeah, yeah. So they all get kind of geared up, and I wonder if that's not kind of a burgeoning tourist industry. I don't know mm-hmm. that for sure, but he said it was crazy. Yeah, it's it's uh, and 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 there's not and it's there's uh, a businessman in in the story who has gone in and and uh, found a location and started some businesses. A successful entrepreneur in one part of the country who's uh, for various reasons decided to go to go start up here. So, anyways, it was really interesting and not something that I expected to come across, but uh, found it to be very interesting when I did read it. Yeah, intriguing. Um, I'm going to recommend. Easily the best thing I read this week, which was Janice Harrington's letter to Lance Coulter informing him that he has been disqualified. It's pretty awesome. As I said earlier, I really like her letters because they put up with absolutely no garbage. Um, I'm going to put that on the website. But yeah, I mean, you know what? Just read it. It's it's really great. Uh, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to recommend a, a movie uh, called The Contender. Uh, this actually came out about... 10 or 12 years ago, uh, I just recently Keep it current, saw, saw it nice. again. I know. Well, <laughs> this is the kind of uh, up to the minute uh, yeah. colonizing you could expect. I no, know. Just kidding. Uh, I, I do think if you haven't seen it, I, I do think it is worth seeing. So uh, the premise of the movie is that the vice president of the United States has died and a woman is nominated to take his place. And the story centers around the confirmation hearings and the uh, essentially trials she has to go through in the political machinations. And so it works very well as a political thriller, but it also works very much as a commentary on how the political process treats women. Uh, And it's sort of a different take on it, but just in the wake of the, the, you know, the Brett Kavanaugh mess, uh, this I thought was very relevant again. Um, It's from a different perspective. It's from the woman who's the political uh, person in this case, but, uh, is still very much treated the same as as others who who get involved in different parts of the process. I withdraw my mocking. That sounds very current <laughs> and appropriate. <laughs> uh, Sarah O'Donnell, Janet French, Keith Geraint, thank you guys so much for joining me for another episode of The Press Gallery. We'll be back next week with more political fun here on The Press Gallery. Mm-hmm.